Okay, if you would, turn in your Bibles to John. We'll be in chapter 16 this morning. John chapter 16. Again, the setting is the Thursday evening, the evening before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, 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 the location is probably on the Mount of Olives where Jesus is speaking to his disciples early in the evening uh, and giving them his final instructions before he goes to the cross. Uh, it's very important as we look on these things and then look back um, what happens after the cross and then after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and how the lives of these apostles changed and and they were brought into remembrance of all the things that Jesus had taught them, and then they were empowered by the Spirit of God to become a tremendous uh, witnesses for Christ in setting the foundation for the church and getting it established and started. As we go into this chapter, though, I want to make sure that we look at everything that Jesus says in the context that he says it in. It's very important that you have the context of what Jesus is referring to and what he's talking about so that you have clear understanding of what he is saying, especially concerning the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the context for this passage of chapter 16 begins in verse 18 of chapter 15, when he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So the context of chapter 16 flows out of what Jesus is saying in chapter 15 here in verse 18 in the, the responding uh, verses below that. Because Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So he's talking about these disciples that are going to be going out into the world and experiencing the uh, hatred of the world because they are going to be his witnesses. Now that, that's the whole point. The whole point is, it says here... Um, Remember in verse 20, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So the whole point he is making is that because you are aligned with me, because you're going to be going out and giving testimony of me, and you're going to be witnessing of me as the Savior of the world, as the Son of God, as the only means by which <coughs> you can be saved, and you're going to be persecuted because they're going to hate you because they hated me and you are representing me in the world so the whole point of this context is you're going to be going out and representing me in the world okay and so he goes down there and says in verse uh, uh, 26 when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness to me and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning so the whole point he is making here and the, the establishment of the doctrine of the apostolic uh, message and the church is that the church is going to do the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus, was, when Jesus was on the earth, he bore witness of the Father, he gave revelation to the world, and he represented the Father to the disciples, to the Jews, and he was manifesting himself to them and giving them the truth. Now he's going to depart, and he's going to leave behind the apostles and those who follow the apostles and those who are brought into the church by the teaching of the apostles, and the, the church is going to become Jesus Christ on earth. He's departing, but the church is going to be, take his place, and the only way that that can happen is if the Spirit of God is going to indwell the church and empower the church 
to be the witnesses that will reflect a true character and true nature of Jesus Christ whom they are witnessing about. So the context of what he's going to say in chapter 16 is all about the world hates me, the world is going to persecute you because you are witnesses of me. And the only way you can be witness of me is to, is to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send you. And that's what he said in Acts chapter 1 when he told them to wait there in Jerusalem and not go out and say, and say anything to the world about him yet because he says uh, in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria even to the remotest part of the earth. So they're going to be his witnesses but the only way they can be his true witnesses is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and reflect the true nature and the true character of Jesus Christ and the revelation of truth that came from Christ to the apostles and now has been given to us through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. Now we are to give a true witness of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way we can do that is through the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit of God is spirit. Jesus was flesh. So when Jesus walked upon the earth, they saw Jesus, and he spoke to the people, both to the ones he was calling out to be disciples and to the world that he was condemning or rebuking or exposing. But he was in the flesh. He was visibly there speaking the truth of the Father. Now it's going to be up to his witnesses to speak the truth of the Father. So when he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to, to uh, be his replacement, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be visible. He's not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to act upon his own. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to act through you. And you are going to be my witnesses. And you're going to be the visible expression of my love and my grace and my righteousness and all the things that are all about me. And you can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's only going to be able to expose things or to convict things or to bring judgment on things through the testimony of the church. Does that make sense? So that sets the context for what he's going to say here in chapter 16. And the entire chapter is flowing out of that context. It's very important. The other thing he says there in chapter 15 is that in verse 22, Two, he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have had sin, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father. So what's he saying there? What did Jesus do when he came and began teaching, when he first started out with the Sermon on the Mount, what was his, mo what was his main thrust of the Sermon on the Mount? You remember Go back to Matthew chapter 7 or 6. This is his first message to the Jewish people. As the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the one who, come, who, who came to give revelation from the Father. And that's what John said in chapter 1 when he said, Grace and truth comes from Christ. The Word became flesh and grace and truth comes from Him. And so here he comes to reveal to the world the message of truth from the Father. So, in Matthew chapter 5, as he's going through this Sermon on the Mount, 
He comes down to the verse 20 and he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he is starting out by saying is, you have been taught and you have been given witness to by the, the scribes and the Pharisees concerning the law of God, concerning the Mosaic covenant, concerning all the things that God has given to the Old Testament prophets. They have explained them to you. And they have represented themselves as the righteous ones of God. I'm coming to tell you that you have to have a righteousness that is different than their righteousness. Their righteousness will never get you to the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is a self-righteousness. Theirs is a misunderstanding that the law is all about an outward manifestation of keeping a set of commandments. It is not about an inward reality of God's law in my heart. So that's what he's going to say. So from the very beginning, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he explained to them the contrast between what the Pharisees are teaching you and what I am telling you. And because he confronted the Pharisees and he rejected their teaching, they hated him. And now they will hate you. And so that's what he's saying there in John chapter, as we get into chapter 16, is that I came and exposed their sin. I came and exposed their unrighteousness. Okay, if I had not exposed their sin, they would have not known they had sin. Which doesn't change. It doesn't mean that they weren't sinners. It means that he exposed them in their self-righteous attitudes and their self-righteous sin. He exposed that as sin and not of a true keeping of the law of God. They thought they kept the law of God. They had interpreted the law of God, they had changed it, they had made it a set of rules, and they were meticulous in keeping that set of rules. And because of that, they told the people that you would be righteous if you did it just like us. If you do what we do, you're righteous. And Jesus exposed them. And, and because he exposed them and gave them the true revelation of God about their heart and the condition of their heart, now they knew they were sinners and they hated it. And they hated him for exposing that. That's what Jesus is talking about there. He's saying that because he came, they now know the truth that they are sinners and that their, their heart is wrong with God, is, is, is against God. And he says, they, um, it says they, don't, they don't know my father. They hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that it, the word might be fulfilled, that it written in the law, they hated me without a cause, so that they do not know the one that they claim to know, which is God. Now, that's important as you set the context to go into chapter 16. Okay, so now let's, let's look in chapter 16 as he begins to tell his disciples how this is going to work out in their own lives. So he goes there and starts out with one, in verse 1 of chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you that when, the hour, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. In other words, while I was with you, I took the brunt of the persecution. And you were with me, but I took the brunt of the persecution. And they have killed me because of my testimony of righteousness to them. Now they're going to do the same thing to you. You're going to become outcast in the synagogue. So he's telling the disciples, when I am gone and you are empowered by the Spirit of God and the helpers come 
and you stand up to proclaim and to, to preach the gospel and to teach the gospel and to be the representatives of Christ, they're going to hate you and think they're doing God a service by killing you. Now, that is, not, is that not the testimony of Saul of Tarsus? Saul of Tarsus was a zealous Jew that thought he was doing the service of God by persecuting and killing Christians because they were rejecting the law of Moses and accepting the teachings of Jesus Christ. So Paul was a, a, an example of the Jews who thought that they were doing God a service by persecuting and destroying the, the, the messengers of God, the, the apostles of God, because they were starting a new direction of worshiping God in the spirit through the teachings of Jesus Christ and believing in Jesus Christ and understanding that the law of Moses was now finished. And now we look to Christ. And that's what the whole writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about, is the way of Jesus Christ is far superior to the law of Moses. And so for you Christian Jews who are thinking about going back and serving under the law of Moses, you don't understand. When Christ came, he put an end to the law of Moses because he came in with a new covenant, a new covenant of righteousness that comes from his shedding of blood, not from the Mosaic covenant of shedding the blood of sacrificial animals. And so the whole writer of the book of Hebrews is explaining to these Christian Jews the, the way of the cross, the way of Christ is far superior than the way of Moses. Moses was always to be a temporary covenant until the Son of God came, until the Lamb of God came, until the new covenant was installed to the Jewish people. There was always going to be an ending to that covenant. The Pharisees and the Jews hated that. They don't want to end that. They want to hang on to that. That is, that they can do something in their flesh and be thought of as being righteous and better than other people. And so that's the whole point he's making here, is that when you stand up, filled with the Spirit of God, and become my apostles and my witnesses, they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. They're going to hate you. They're going to kill you. They're going to persecute you because they think they're doing God a service. Now, not all of them. All of them, the world hates you because the world don't want their deeds exposed. That's what he said in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus about the, you must be born again, he, then he goes into and talks about John 3.16, about those who believe in him. And then he gets down to verse 19, and he says, And this is the judgment that the light is coming to the world, and the men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The world hates God and hates the, the message of God, hates the Creator because they don't want to have to face the judgment of God and have their deeds exposed as being unrighteous and unworthy of God's kingdom. So they hate the message and they hate the messenger that's going to expose their unrighteousness before God. Okay, so now he talks about, in the same context, he talks about the coming of the Spirit. In verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So he is saying, I'm going away, and they're sorrowful. They're, they don't know how to take this. They don't understand why he's going away. They thought he was going to put in the kingdom in place and be here forever for them. And now he's saying, I'm going away, and they are upset. They're sorrowful because they don't understand what's going to happen if he goes away. And so then he says, I tell you the truth, it is in your advantage that I go away, for I, if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. 
So he's talking about the Spirit of God who is going to come and help them in the context of their persecution and their being witnesses for him. They're not going to go out on their own. They're going out in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. They're going to face persecution. They're going to face the hatred of the world. They're going to face all kinds of things that are going to come against them. And he's telling them now so that when it happens, they'll remember that he told them this and that they'll rely on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within them to overcome. Okay? So what, then he goes on and says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your bed as I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you, are no, long, you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now this text has been taken out of context many times in many ways. He is not saying that the Spirit of God is going to come and convict the world of sin so that they will come to Christ and be saved. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that the Spirit of God is going to do the same thing that Jesus did when he came into the world and brought exposure to their sin. Brought exposure to their sin and their unrighteousness. So when he says here, when he comes, he will convict the world. The Spirit of God is not going to be visibly, actively going into the hearts of individuals that are unbelievers and convicting them of sin. So how is this going to happen? The people who are called of God to be his witnesses and are filled with the Holy Spirit as they go out into the world and they preach the truth of God, it will expose the wickedness of those who do not believe. That's what he says. It's, it's concerning sin because they do not believe. It's not because they can believe or they will believe because of this exposure. It's because they do not believe. These are the ones that do not know the Father and therefore they hate me and they hate the Father and they're not coming to Christ. They're being exposed in their sin. That's what he says in Ephesians when he's talking about the way we live should be different than the way of the world. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, he's talking about, um, he says, Therefore, in verse 7, do not be partakers with them, for you, formerly, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all, go all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. We are called to be children of light so that our ministry with the power of the Holy Spirit representing Jesus Christ will expose their sin just like Jesus exposed the sin of the Pharisees and the, and the, and the unrighteous Jews. He exposed them by living and presenting the true righteousness of God. And so as believers that are filled with the Spirit of God, we're to go out into the world and be the children of light. And as the children of light, we are to preach righteousness and judgment and sin 
And we are to expose those who are living this way, expose those who are rejecting God and living in the re reality of their own lust and their own flesh. We are to expose them and to preach the, the true message of Jesus Christ and the judgment to come. And so when he says that in John chapter 16 there, when he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in the believers, in the church, as we go into the world, we're to expose them of their sin, and we are to represent the righteousness of God, just like Jesus was the righteous one, and he therefore exposed their unrighteousness because when he walked in the, in the arena, people saw him, they saw his nature, they saw his character, they saw his his righteousness that was from an a in, inward man, not an external self-righteousness that you just put on the show. So that's why it's important for us as believers to live holy as he is holy because we're representing him. And so the Spirit of God has given us the ability, the, the power to overcome sin, to overcome flesh, so that we can live out a righteous standard, a righteous life that flows from a heart that is right with God and desires to be holy with God, and the world can see that. And the world can look at you and say, well, that's different. I know it's different, but those who are not being saved, they hate that because it exposes where they're at. And that's what we're, we're here to do. The Spirit of God is going to use us to expose to the world that they're under sin and there is no righteousness in their heart and there is judgment coming. So the context of this working of the Holy Spirit is not working to bring people to Christ here. The work of regeneration is a work that the Spirit of God does on His own. We preach the gospel and it exposes those who are being brought to the light by the Spirit of God's regenerating power. Those who are being born again are exposed to the gospel and then they respond to the gospel in faith and repentance because they're exposed to the gospel because they've been born of God. And again, we talked about this last night. When the Spirit of God takes and makes into you a new man, a new heart, and gives you the nature of God, the nature of God cannot not believe in God. If the Spirit of God gives you the nature of God in you, you cannot help but believe in Jesus Christ because that's the nature that God gave you. It's not a work of your flesh to believe in Jesus Christ. It is an outflowing of the spiritual nature within you to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why when you are born again, whosoever will may come is an outgrowth of the ones who are born of God. Those who are born of God believe because it flows out of the nature that God has given them in the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, you're given the nature of God, and that nature of God cannot help but respond to God because it's the nature of God to believe in himself. Does that make sense? Chris. So when I was born again, regenerated, yes. I was convicted of sin. Sure. I knew I needed righteousness. Sure. I went to Christ for that because I, I heard the gospel and I knew that a judgment was coming. So in a sense, those things are happening through the spirit in the life of the elect at the Yes, because what, what it shows that in Romans chapter 10. And when, we're, when you look at the, the gospel that is presented by, the, 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 this is the message for the Jews to be saved, but it says, for the scripture says, I mean, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So it is an expression of my heart that I believe in Jesus Christ, 
I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I have no basis of righteousness before God because that is the confession of my heart because my heart's been changed. Before that happens, my heart could not confess that. My point was that it's not just that we're bringing that uh, to the not elect, the unbeliever, and exposing their sin, but at the same time that, that the Holy Spirit is working to bring the conviction of sin. Or it's an, out, an outworking of regeneration, is that you can't help but have a new relationship to sin, understand your need for the righteousness that's in Christ, and, uh, and recognize the truthfulness that a judgment day is coming. Yeah, but what we're talking about in the context here, he's not dealing with those who are believers that are convicted of sin because of the Spirit of God's presence within them. That's true of all believers. If you are born again, then the Spirit of God dwells you, and you are continually, constantly believing and repenting and believing and repenting. That's what believers do. They believe in Jesus Christ and they repent of their sins, right? So if you've been born again, it is an overflow of your heart to repent of your sin and to believe in Jesus Christ. That is a confession of sin. That is a confession of faith in Christ that flows out of a heart that's been born of God. And so when you say, I don't know if I've been saved. Well, how do you know if you've been saved? Because I confess my sin and I trust in Jesus Christ. And that's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time thing. Well, I trusted in Jesus Christ and I confessed my sin, so I got a ticket to heaven and I'm, I'm, I'm saved. No, the point is that if you've been born of God, the overflow of your life is a continual walk with God in repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. You're not getting resaved and resaved and resaved. It's an expression of those who've been born of God to repent of sin and to believe in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God does that within the, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believers. When you're born again, the Spirit of God indwells you, and He does that work in you to convict you of your sinfulness and, your, and, and to encourage you in your walk of faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit for the believer. In this context of, of John 16, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world that is persecuting you. And in your adversarial role in the world... As, as preaching the true message of God about the sinfulness of man, the righteousness of God, and the judgments to come, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in dealing with the unbelieving world, and it's only going to be dealt with or going to be done through the, the preaching or the teaching or the living out of the reality of Christ in us as the church. So the context is not here uh, dealing with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how he ministers to the believer. It is here dealing with those that are in an adversarial role to the church that are bringing persecution and judgment against you as believers. So, yes. Uh, also into this, uh, all this, I want to ask, is this related to uh, in Acts, Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 3 and the response we have where it says the man with tears in their hearts and they ask, what should we do? And also uh, Stephen, when he was preaching, and the response there was the men were furious and went ahead to kill him. In those cases, is it that the Holy Spirit was uh, convicting both audiences of the same, but it's just that one was responding a different way? Or? No, it's different. It's different. In Acts chapter 2, when these Jews were pricked in their heart, it's because they were born again. They were regenerated in their heart by the Holy Spirit, and now they saw the truth, and now they realized that they were a partner. They were partners with the ones that said crucify him, but now they've been pricked in their heart because of the message of the, of the, of the gospel that Peter preached. They're showing evidence that the Spirit of God has caused them to be born again. They see the truth now, and now they want to know what to do. 
how do I get, how do I get out from under this burden of, of guilt because I was part of the group that crucified him and now I'm pricked in my heart because now I see the truth and I hear the truth and the only way you can do that is if you've been born again. So their response is a, is a believing response being pricked in their heart about their own sin and what, what can I do now as one who wants to follow Christ. And so they're, they're expressing faith and they're expressing repentance and, and remorse over their sin as a believer, not as an unbeliever that hates to be exposed. This is being a believer that is wanting to do what's right. And the one with Stephen? And what, what, on the Stephen, which, one, which aspect are you talking about on Stephen's? It talks about how, you know, Okay, so they became furious in their heart because they were unbelievers that were being exposed by Stephen's testimony of righteousness and of following Jesus Christ, and they hated that, and they were exposed, and so their reaction was the reaction of unbelieving world when they are when the Spirit of God exposes their sinfulness and their un, un, being unright with God. So that those are contrasting; those are good two contrasts. The ones in Acts chapter 2 are the ones that have been born of God that are responding in faith and repentance and wanting to do what's right and follow Jesus. And the ones in Acts with Stephen are the ones that wanted to go ahead and kill him and kill anybody that had that same testimony. Right, okay. So the ones with Stephen was this uh, more like what we're talking about. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what is happening. And so if you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth when he did this, everywhere he went, he did the same thing. He exposed people in their sin and they hated him for it, and they wanted to crucify him because of it. Okay? Any other questions? All right. How would you relate to people that says that God's elect is already established, and why should I tell them about Jesus? Okay, because not only did God choose who's going to be saved, he chose how they would be brought to salvation, how they would be identified as believers, and that's through the preaching of the gospel. So he chose the, the means by which they would be brought to light, that they are being, they are the elect. The elect still have to be saved. See, so you were elect before you got saved. The election means that you will get saved, but it doesn't change the fact that you have to be saved. Okay? So when you preach the gospel, it's not to convince somebody to get saved. When you preach the gospel, it's to allow the Spirit of God to use the preaching of the gospel to expose the believers, just like he would expose the unbelievers. The unbelievers are exposed in their hatred of God. The believers are exposed in their love for God and their desire to follow him. The ones in Acts chapter 2, they were exposed in their conviction of their heart, and they were pierced in their heart, and they wanted to follow Jesus, and they wanted to do what's right. They wanted to make, they wanted to make remedy of what they had done wrong and be made right. The once with Stephen's situation, they were exposed in their darkness and their hatred of God. Could a person be saved without hearing the gospel? Well, the person can be saved. The, the, the salvation of the Holy Spirit of God, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is a work that the Spirit does of his own, coming from the those whom God foreknew. He predestined, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those he justified, glorified. The process is God foreknew you before the foundation of the world and chose you to be a part in Christ with him, and then he predestined that there's going to be a time in your life when you will be brought into the, um, eventually you'll be brought into the image of the glorified son, but that has to come through a calling of the Holy Spirit or a, re a birth of the Holy Spirit to be drawn by the Holy Spirit into salvation. He uses the word 
the gospel preached to do that. He sends messengers all over the world to accomplish the message. So without a word of God, whether it's through a, 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 a Bible, a, a, a message or a messenger, without a biblical truth, there's no way for someone to be exposed as a believer in Jesus Christ. So there will be a message sent to those that are being called by the Spirit of God that they may go. So the church is, the, 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 the great commission of the church is to go into all the world so that the church can be used as the means by which God brings in to the church those who the Spirit of God is birthing into the kingdom. Okay, now, all right, he goes on in verse uh, 12, because he done said, I, I, the Spirit of God is going to expose the sin of the unbelieving world. He's going to show the righteousness of God to the, to the unrighteous of the world. And he's going to pronounce or proclaim judgment on all those who are sinful and unrighteous. And that's what he's done all the way through the Bible. There, there's the judgment of God coming. Mo, uh, Noah preached the judgment of God's coming on an ungodly generation of people. Today, the church is preaching a judgment of God that's coming in the form of the tribulation. When the church is complete, the tribulation judgment of God is coming. It's going to be the greatest tribulation that the world has ever seen. Even, even the judgment of the flood was a, a one kind of judgment where the whole world died by the flooding of the world with water. In the judgment of tribulation, not everyone's going to die, but the whole world's going to experience the brunt of God's wrath being poured out in various means. So there's a judgment coming. But then there's the eternal judgment. All those who are unbelievers are going to, they're going to incur the judgmental wrath of God forever in the lake of fire. And so the world is to be exposed and proclaimed. When Jesus died on the cross and then he went, his soul went down into Hades and he preached. He didn't preach the gospel to the unbelieving world in hell. He didn't preach the gospel to the the spirits of God, the, the demon spirits that were in the pit, enslaved in the pit, he proclaimed the truth of the, the reality that Jesus' death on the cross certified or cemented their judgment forever and ever. He's not preaching to get them out of hell. He's proclaiming to them that they will never be forgiven of their sins. And because of his victory on the cross, their, their fate is sealed. And so that's the judgment that he's pronouncing on them, and that's what the Spirit of God is going to pronounce through the message of the church to those that are unbelieving and unwilling to come to Christ. Okay? Now, in God's terminology, it's the elect and the unelect. But we don't know that who those are, so we go out and preach the gospel to everyone. And the ones that respond to the gospel, we understand, are the elect of God. But everybody that got saved in here, everybody that, that, everybody that was born of God and proclaimed the faith in Christ, at the time you got saved, I don't think you had any concept of, well, am I elect or not elect? That's not how the Spirit of God brings you to life. The Spirit of God brings you to life, and then you feel the weight of your sin, and you feel the burden of your sin, and you seek Jesus Christ as the means of your salvation and you respond in repenting and believing everyone that gets saved does the same thing we respond to a message we heard and we 
pray a prayer or we call out upon the name of the Lord and we ask for forgiveness of our sins and we trust in Jesus Christ to save us and we are saved, but being saved is an extension of being regenerated or being born again. So you are called in that process of salvation in Romans chapter 8. You are chosen of God, foreknown of God before the foundation of the world. You are predestined to become conformed to the image of the glorified Son, which means it's going to happen. And then you are called at a point in time in your life when the Spirit of God brings you to life. The Spirit of God comes into your heart and changes you and gives you the nature of God. And then you respond by trusting in Jesus Christ. And through trusting and through faith, you are then justified giving... God uses the faith that has been given you through the regenerating work of the Spirit as the means by declaring you to be righteous because your faith is in Jesus Christ, not in yourselves. Because your faith in Christ, He declares you to be righteous and you're justified before God. That means standing, your standing before God is the standing of Jesus Christ's righteousness because it's been granted to you. It's been credited to your account. So your standing before God is the standing of Jesus. He has taken your place. You were, he took your sin to the cross, and then when you're identified with Jesus Christ, then he, his righteousness is your standing. And so you are right before God because of Jesus Christ. And then those who are right before God because of Jesus Christ and who have been given life by the Spirit of God will all be glorified and have a glorified body that will be conformed to the image of the glorified Christ in his body. So that process of being chosen before the foundation of the world and being predestined to be conformed to the image of God, it means you are, those whom God chose, He predestined to be in glory. You can't be chosen of God and not get to glory. Everything that God purposes to do and chooses to do, He accomplishes. So if you were chosen before the foundation of the world, you are going to go to glory. But you don't go to glory just because you were chosen. You go to glory because the Spirit of God interacts in your life and changes you out of darkness to light, and then you respond by believing and trusting and repenting and living out the faith that comes through you, and through your faith you are preserved until the end, and then you are changed and glorified. Amen. So it's a work of God all the way through, but as we come to Christ, we don't know all the, the, the workings of God that's going on behind the scenes. We just know that all of a sudden... I have, I have a knowledge that I'm a sinner and I have a need for a Savior. And I cry out for God to save me and I think that's when I was born of God. Actually, you were born of God that enabled you to cry out for God to save you. So you're crying out for God to save you is not what caused you to be born again. It is an overflow of a heart that has been born again. But it's all included in the work of God to bring the salvation to your heart. Okay? So this particular passage is not dealing with that aspect. It's dealing with the Spirit of God through the Church of God exposing the world of their unbelief and their sin, exposing the world or giving the world a revelation of the righteousness of God that God demands, and then proclaiming there's a judgment to come on all those who reject Him. Now, in verse 12, it says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. Now this passage here gets taken out of context too, to a certain extent, in that now we, we can know all things because the Spirit of God is going to tell us all things. 
that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying in here is that when the Spirit comes to you, he will guide you into the truth of what I have revealed to my apostles and revealed from the Father. So he is going to guide you in understanding what has already been revealed to you. He's not going to give you new revelation and, and give you guidance in everything you do in life from that standpoint of a personal genie or a personal thing that's going to guide you in everything. He is saying here, when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all the truth, and this truth is the truth that came from the Father that was mine that I gave to the apostles or I gave to you, and the Spirit of God is going to guide you in the understanding of that revelation truth that I have been given you. So we have written down the revelation of God by the apostles and by the prophets, and the Spirit of God is going to take this revelation of God and give you understanding about what God has given you so that you will know how to live out that reality of being a witness for Jesus Christ and having the world hate you because of it. That's the context. Is that the Spirit of God is going to guide you into what Jesus Christ has given to us and it came from the Father. Jesus Christ revealed the truth that came from the Father to us and the Spirit of God is going to take that revelation of truth and implant it in our hearts so that we can understand all the things that God has given to them through the revelation that is contained in the Word of God. So it's not talking about guiding you mystically as you go through your life. You're going to get a guidance from the Spirit of God to do everything you do. Specifically, he's talking about guiding you in the understanding of what has been revealed by Jesus Christ to them. Now, what he's saying is, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now, or you cannot bear them now, because they do not have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. They do not have that unction. They do not have that guidance. They do not be, they're not able to understand the things that Jesus is telling them, and we'll see that as we go through it. They don't even understand the basic things he's telling them about his departure. They're confused about all this. But when the Spirit of God comes in their, in their hearts and indwells them, they will have an understanding of all that God has intended for us to have in our revelation, in our knowledge, to, so that we can grow in our understanding and in our faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we receive the revelational truth of God, and the Spirit of God takes that truth and implants it deep in our heart, and then we grow in that. And the more we grow in that, the more our faith grows. And we live by faith, because our faith is growing, because of the Word of God is becoming more and more real in our hearts because we, are, we understand more. And that's how those who are maturing in Christ are growing in their faith, growing in their assurance, growing in their love, growing in their righteous actions, growing in their knowledge of sin, which what Paul said, the further he got along in this walk with Christ, he said, I'm the greatest sinner of all because I see more of my sinful condition now because I have gotten closer to the truth of God. So the closer you walk with God, the more you're going to see the little things that you didn't see before. When you first get saved, it's the big things you see. Oh, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going to be drinking anymore. I'm not going to do this. Right? I'm gonna, yeah. So you see the big things. But the closer you get to walking with God, the more you see the little things. When it says pray without ceasing, how do you do that? How do you pray without ceasing? Well, you can't be sinning. You can't be thinking evil thoughts or lustful thoughts and, and be praying with God without ceasing. 
So you're going to have to get to a level where you're walking with God to the point where every thought is taken captive and every moment of my life is in reflection of the Spirit of God is living within me. He knows everything I'm thinking. He knows everything I'm doing. He knows everything of my heart's desires. And He's going to expose whatever I'm doing is not right, then I'm going to be constantly, forgive me, forgive me of that thought. Forgive me that deed. And I'm going to keep growing in that knowledge of God and walking with God so that I can pray without ceasing, which means I can have this relationship, this fellowship with the Spirit of God in my heart at all times because I'm striving to be right with God. And every time I slip up and every time I'm I instantly say, that was wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And I keep striving and I keep walking with God. And that fellowship keeps building and that faith keeps growing. And if you have that living, real faith in you and you're walking with God in that way, there's no doubting of your salvation. There's no doubt of your relationship with God. It's when you get into sin, you start doubting. How could I be a Christian? I, I just did that. And so that's the apparent, the apparent need for us to walk with God is so that we don't have that lapses of, of getting into that. So what he's saying is he says that the Spirit of God will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, in other words, whatever Jesus Christ has revealed and whatever the Father has revealed to Christ and whatever Christ has revealed uh, to the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't speak of his own initiative. He speaks what's already been revealed by the Father to Jesus Christ. So he speaks what is Jesus' teaching, and then he takes Jesus' teaching and he discloses it to you. Because all the teaching that Jesus has taken and given to you comes from the Father, but the Spirit of God will disclose it all to you. So to his particular apostles or disciples that he's talking to, he says, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and when was that? On Pentecost. When the Spirit of God came down and dwelled them and, and completely controlled them at that moment, and they were filled with the Spirit of God, but they were permanently indwelled. That was the baptism. They were permanently dwelled. The filling of the, God, uh, of the Spirit of God is just the controlling. It's just the, the Spirit of God has control of my thoughts. He has control of my action. He has control of my desires. He has control of my life. That's being filled. When the, when the Spirit of God fills you, He controls the way you think and the way you act and the way you believe and the way all these things. So anyone can be filled at any time, whether you're mature in the faith and understanding all things or whether you're just a brand new Christian, you can be filled with the Spirit, which means He's going to control you at that moment in all that you know. You may not know much, and so there's this, I, this, this, this work of maturing and growing in the Spirit and growing in the knowledge, but at that moment, you can be controlled by the Spirit of God. It may be a simple faith. It may be a, a very immature faith, but it can be a completely controlled faith. Does that make sense? So at the moment at Pentecost, the Spirit, the, 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 they were all filled. At the same time, they were indwelled. They were all indwelled by the Spirit of God. That's what happened. The Spirit of God came and indwelled them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they were also filled and controlled. And if you're filled and controlled with the Spirit of God, that means He can pour through you His giftedness. And what the apostles did was the giftedness of being an apostle. And they stood up and declared the revelationary truth of God in languages they didn't know to people that heard them in their own language speaking the valuable, important truths of God about Jesus Christ. And God, through their being controlled by the Spirit of God, they were used of God as vessels to pour out the truth of God in a way that had not been done before. And a powerful demonstration of the Spirit of God in them to the point where the people around there thought they were drunk. 
And that's why the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but be controlled with the Spirit. Being drunk with my wine means the, the wine is controlling your actions and your thoughts. And the people were looking at them and saying, these men are being controlled by wine. And Peter said, no, this is what Joel talked about, is what's going to happen in the future for Israel is now happening today for us, is that we are controlled by the Spirit of God, and out of that overflow comes a manifestation of this giftedness that the Spirit of God has given us. So that's what he's talking about. So the Spirit of God will guide you into the revelationary truth of God that comes from the Word of God. Don't be seeking mysticism and experiential things that are outside the Word of God as a source of God's will in your life. Always stay in the Word of God and live on the principles of the Word of God and have your heart in tune with God and then do the desires of your heart. If your heart is right with God and you're controlled of the Spirit of God and you have a desire to do something, then follow your desires. If God don't want you to do that, then He'll shut the door on that. But don't be seeking external manifestations of the Spirit or external mysticism type things to get guidance. The guidance comes from what has been given through Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Any questions? Okay. All right. We're going to probably stop there. I'm going to go just set the stage for next week when we get into the actual the actual revelation that Jesus gives them again about his upcoming death and resurrection and then the prayer promises that he's going to pray for them and then we'll get into his high priestly prayer in chapter 17. But in, in verse 16, just to set the stage for next week, it says, a little while and you will no longer behold me and again a little while you will, you will see me. So if he, first he says, in a little while you, you'll no longer behold me. In other words, I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. And then a little while later you'll see me in my resurrected glorified body. Okay? They don't get that. Some disciples therefore said to one another, what is, what is he telling us? A little while you will not behold me, and then again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. And, they were, and so they were saying, what is this? He's saying a little while. We do not know what he's talking about. So they're clueless. They don't understand all that Jesus is saying, but he's still telling them. Because when it happens, and then when the Spirit of God comes upon them, they will remember, and then they'll understand. But he's going ahead and telling them now to try to ease their concern, ease their sorrowfulness, even though they don't get it. And in fact, we go on through there, and, and, and even after they say, verse, and we'll get into this next week, but even after they say in verse 29, lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus asked him, do you really believe? Do you really believe? He said, an hour is coming and always come for you to be scattered each to his own home and leave me alone and yet I am not alone. In other words, you say you believe and you say you understand and you say you see it, you get it now, but you don't really believe because you don't really understand. But you will. And it's coming. So he's not, he's not rebuking them. He's just explaining to them. When you, get, when you scatter, it's not because you're not a believer. It's not because you've lost your salvation. It's just because you have little faith. And you will gain that faith when I pray for you and the Spirit of God comes to you. 